Our next guest is a skinfluencer. Dr. Michelle Wong is a professional science communicator. She runs the well-subscribed Lab Muffin Beauty Science blog in which she tests skin products, basically because she couldn't find proper research into them and others were asking her advice. That's how it began. She's across the major social media as well. She's become the face of beauty science online in a number of countries. Michelle is a cosmetic dentist with a PhD in medicinal chemistry. Hello, Michelle. Hi. Nice to talk to you. Your mission is to sort out the wheat from the chaff in the skin products that are marketed to us, yeah? I mean, as well as offering scientifically-based advice about looking after our skin. That's basically what you do. Yeah, pretty much. So I talk a lot about the science behind skincare products and other beauty products like hair care, nail care, etc. Um, I also talk a lot about myths that you see online. So every once in a while, there'll be a video that comes out saying you need to maybe throw out all your products because they're killing you. And yeah, I debunk all that. <laughs> I've got a bit about hair and nails actually at the end. Skin science generally is an area I think still of great mystery to many women maybe as well as men from the people I've talked to before our chat. For example, I mean, I spied an eye cream, Michelle, at the pharmacy, uh, promising to get rid of uh, dark circles under the eyes, and it contained illuminating particles enriched with vitamin C, green coffee bean, and carrot oil. And I have no idea what that combination would do. We're told all these things, and it's hard to work out. Yeah, that's definitely the case. So first off, there isn't that much research into skincare that's publicly funded. So there isn't that much that's publicly available to even scientists to look at. A lot of it is done behind closed doors. A lot of it is um, done within a company. And so they're not going to publicly share their investments. Um, The other big issue is that with marketing, cosmetics aren't allowed to make structure and function claims, which would turn it into a drug and so in terms of the wording it tends to be both I guess both it kind of makes products sound both less effective and more effective at the same time so it can be really hard to kind of pass through all that so with dark circles um, there's a few different causes of dark circles one of them is just simply having thinner skin in that area so there are some ingredients that can help maybe thicken the skin a little bit and cover up that underlying darkness Another possible cause is if you've got pigment in that area, and that's especially the case if you have darker skin. Um, So vitamin C is one ingredient that can potentially treat um, pigment. And another cause is just not getting enough sleep, having um, swollen eyes and just having water buildup in that area, and the caffeine can potentially help with that. So I keep saying potentially, and one of the big confusing things about skincare is that it's also to do with the formula. So if you just chuck vitamin C into any formula, it might not necessarily be able to work and get into your skin. Sometimes it might even break down before you get the product. So it is really, really tricky to work out what's going on. Um, One of my top recommendations is to look for a brand that invests in science. So maybe look up if they actually employ scientists, if they do a lot of their own research and development, um, and also to have a look at the actual claims on the product. So if you see a product say that it contains particular ingredients, that doesn't tell you much. If it says it's been tested on, I don't know, 50 women who, um, and 95% of them said they saw an improvement, then that's a better sign that they've put more research into that product. 
Can you trust what is said, though? Does dermatologically tested always mean dermatologically tested? Um, so generally that means it's been tested under the supervision of a dermatologist, but okay. it doesn't really tell you exactly what they tested or how good the results were. How much of having good skin is good genes, do you think? A lot of it is. So there's lots of um, examples of research. So one of the big ones is with skin colour, which I think most people are somewhat aware of about um, things like black don't crack. And that is actually supported by the evidence. So melanin is really good at absorbing UV from the sun. Um, the flip side of that is even though the melanin can protect your skin from premature wrinkling, um, melanin also tends to mess up with UV. So UV can come in and mess up your pigment-producing cells, which are called melanocytes. And that's why when people with darker skin or people just with more melanocompetent skin, so people like me, I'm from, um, my parents are from China, so um, I'm very good at producing pigment. And so, yeah, when people of colour tend to age, we tend to age with um, uneven pigment rather than necessarily with wrinkling. So there's a good and a bad side. Speaking of the sun interfering with what you have on your face. Uh, and we'll get to retinol a bit later on, but if you have products with retinol or retinoid products, do you have to be more careful in the sun as well? That's something I saw. Um, yes and no. It's mostly no. One of the big things that retinoids do is it actually reverses photo damage, so damage from the sun. Um, and one of the things that damage from the sun kind of does is it protects your skin. So it's sort of like a scab. It can help protect from further damage and slow that down. And so if you get rid of that scab, then you will have nicer skin. But at the same time, then any sort of extra damage is just going to be more visible. So it is a good idea to protect your skin against the sun after you've used some of these anti-aging ingredients to kind of protect your results. But it isn't going to make your skin um, more vulnerable to sun, except for one particular ingredient or one class of ingredients, which is called alpha hydroxy acids. There is evidence that those will increase your risk of sunburn, but the other ones are generally okay. What can you fix and what can't you fix? Can you get rid of wrinkles and crow's feet, for example, Michelle, or even improve them much without Botox? Can you do it with creams? That's a really good question. Um, so our skin is relatively thin. Um, so we have a really thin layer of skin and then underneath that there are layers of fat, muscle and bone. So when your face changes as you age, it isn't just your skin changing, it's also the underlying structures. Um, and so there are limits to what skincare can do because really it only really targets that very outer layer. So if it's very surface sort of wrinkling, then taking care of the condition of your skin can really help with that. If you have underlying structural issues, again, taking care of the surface will make it look better, but there is a limit. So with deeper wrinkles, generally you are going to need deeper treatments with wrinkles in motion, which is the wrinkles that show up when your face moves like crow's feet, then that's where Botox comes in handy. If you do have these deeper issues, it is probably worth going to some sort of cosmetic practitioner, whether that's a dermatologist or um, someone at a cosmetic clinic to take a look and see what will actually solve those problems for you. And a major deeper issue, I'm assuming, is simply age. You can't defeat age in the end. Definitely. Um, there are multiple things that contribute to aging and you can only limit some of them. Part of the reason why our entire body, including our skin, slowly kind of 
gets a bit crapper as we get older is just because of normal biological processes. Um, so a lot of those biochemical processes will actually produce what are called free radicals. Um, these are really reactive substances inside your body and they have a really um, purpose as well. So they are chemical communicators. They are necessary, but at the same time, they can sort of go off course and hit other components in your body and mess them up over time. And that sort of builds up over time. Okay. How do you know what, this is all 101 territory for me, um, tends to be, but how do you know what pH your skin is? This is important, yes? Yeah, so um, your skin is generally happier at a more acidic pH, or at least the very surface is. And this is good because, um, again, there are lots of biochemical processes going on inside your skin, and those are pH dependent. They work better at a particular pH or acidity. Um, it's also protective against microorganisms. So there are particular microorganisms that are good for your skin, but there are other ones which are bad. And so it keeps the balance of good and bad towards the good. Um, how you know the pH of your skin, that's actually quite annoying to measure. Um, and it's probably not really that helpful to measure it. But there are a few products that you might want to check the pH of if you're having some skin problems, if you're having like sensitive skin. The most important one is probably the cleanser. Um, so in general, your skin is very good at maintaining its pH, but cleansers do tend to mess it up a bit more and make it more susceptible to pH changes. So sometimes you'll see like acidic cleanser. Um, one of the big things that you might want to avoid if you have this problem or you suspect you have this problem is soap. Um, so natural soaps only work at a really high pH, which is the opposite of where you want your skin to be. So even though it sounds like it's good because it's natural, it's actually not that great. And a lot of modern cleansers are purposely formulated so that they can be acidic and respect your skin's pH. Cleansers have surfactants in them, don't they, to help lift off dirt and grime. So there's an issue with that. It's a, it's a two-edged sword using them. Exactly, yeah. So surfactants are really good at cleansing, but at the same time, they can remove a bit too much from your skin because your skin does produce its own moisturiser. Plus, they're good at burrowing into your skin a little bit and keeping it disturbed for a longer time. Do you ever need, really, soaps for your face? It really depends on what you mean by need. Um, so I think all of us, our skin gets exposed to different things. Um, like we mentioned before, genetics is a really big factor in how your skin behaves. Um, some, some people have more exposure to the sun, to pollution, to maybe even like indoor air conditioning, and that can dry out your skin. So it really depends on what your needs are. If you wear sunscreen and makeup, you probably need a cleanser to get rid of that stuff at the end of the day. Um, but if you have much more low maintenance skin, um, if you're genetically blessed with very happy skin that is happy at whatever you throw at it, then maybe you don't need a cleanser. For people with unhappy skin, psoriasis and eczema, common problems, vexing problems, you know, without getting into the area of medicine and topical steroids and so on, you still read all manner of advice online, putting olive oil into your ears if you've got eczema. I was seeing that the other day. Uh, are these, is that a good idea or a bad one? I imagine there's potential for heaps of bad advice. There is so much bad advice online about literally every topic, including skincare. Um, I would highly recommend not taking any advice online seriously. If it's something that is quite harsh, like we 
I think we all know that lemon, like it's harsh in your mouth. It's going to be not that nice on your skin either. So yeah, be very careful with internet advice. Yeah, and I don't so much want to get into remedies for facial deficiencies, which again are the preserve of medical practitioners. Um, But online advice for getting rid of those spots that appear after being in the sun, ageing spots, I think you'd call them. I don't know if they come with age per se or not. I saw advice confidently recommending lemon juice and vinegar and lots of comments agreeing wholeheartedly. And I get those spots after sun, and so I thought I'd try it, and lemon juice and vinegar made made absolutely no impression on me. Are we all different, though, as to what will work on our individual skin? We are all a little bit different, but we're not that different. So lemon juice and vinegar, um, as well as having different skin, we also have lots of different types of lemons and lots of different types of vinegar. Um, Yeah, those are generally not very good ingredients for your skin. So the big problem with lemon juice is it does have some components in it that are improper skincare products. So for example, citric acid is actually formulated in proper skincare products and it can help with excess pigment. Um, But the problem with lemon juice is it has a lot of other components as well. One of them is furocumarins. Um, These are things that are mostly found in the lemon peel, but obviously when you're juicing a lemon, some of that will get into your lemon juice and they can actually make your skin more sensitive to the sun. They're responsible for those blistering burns you sometimes see in summer when people are squeezed, um, maybe a lime into their beer, and they've got the lime oil on their fingers Uh. and they go into the sun and you get like massive blistering burns. So yeah, lemon juice is quite risky. There are even cases where it's caused uneven pigment on people's skin. So it's killed some of their melanocytes um, and it's just made the whole situation worse. So yeah, there are a lot of risks with DIY remedies. Dr. Michelle Wong is with us from the Lab Muffin Beauty Science blog. Is anything without retinol in it basically not very useful or not very strong in making a difference to your face? I mean, what about the products that mention vitamin A without saying retinol or retinoid on the label? That's a very gnarly question. Um, So retinol is definitely one of the best supported skincare ingredients we have. Retinol is a form of vitamin A. There are other forms of vitamin A. Some of them are even possibly more powerful. So there's one called retinol, which is really cool. Um, There are also some esters and some of them are less useful. So yeah, it is really important to clarify exactly which type of vitamin A. In terms of other skincare ingredients that might be really beneficial, um, vitamin C is another really good one. There are also chemical exfoliants like alpha hydroxy acids, glycolic acid and lactic acid, which have quite a lot of evidence to support how well they work. Um, Of course, there are also acne products, so things like salicylic acid, benzoyl peroxide. Those are actually recognized as drugs in some areas of the world because they work so well for acne. So yeah, there are quite a lot of ingredients that will work, but there are probably even more that are a bit BS. So yeah, you do have to be really careful when navigating this. Yeah, I won't ask you to go into all the the ins and outs of the chemistry, but of, of these magic ingredients or effective ingredients, do they need to be in enough quantity? Are there a lot of products that have the good oil, as it were, in too small amounts, really? And and how can we know? That's a good question. Um, Yes, so concentration makes a big difference to how well something works, because the more you have, the more likely it is to get into your skin and get to where it needs to be to work. Um, Basically, get into your skin and press the right buttons. How to tell? 
Again, I think the best thing to do is to check if that product has been made by a brand who invests in R&D. Um, checking for those claims, so things like have they actually gone to the trouble of testing it on actual people rather than just putting the ingredients in and hoping for the best. Sometimes you'll see the um, concentration on the product as well, and that can also be helpful. So it'll say it has 1% retinol. So that's probably going to be better than a product with a lower concentration, but depending on the formula, it is also possible to make a product with a lower concentration that works better, but you have to trust the brand a bit more. Gee, it's complicated, isn't it? I imagine a lot of pharmacists, or some pharmacists at least, would have the knowledge if you ask them. Yeah, they will definitely have a higher degree of knowledge, although cosmetics is still a really tiny specialty within pharmacy. Most pharmacists don't really get taught a lot about cosmetics in their training. Um, so that can still be a bit of a minefield, but it can definitely help. Night creams and day creams, Michelle, because you see these offered. If the day creams don't have SPF in them, in other words, they're doubling as sunscreen, are night creams and day creams interchangeable? It's just marketing? Yeah, it is mostly marketing and preference. So sometimes night creams will be a bit heavier. So if you have oily skin, they might be a little bit too shiny for the day. It's really just preference past that. Okay. And a cosmetically branded day cream, uh, say with SP15 on it, uh, the more expensive than just a generic product. I imagine the makers don't want to make it sound too sunscreeny. Would it be much better necessarily than a supermarket or a pharmacy sunscreen? No, um, there are definitely really good sunscreens out there that do not cost a lot. Um, if you are just looking for sun protection, then the higher the SPF, the better, the cheaper, the better for your wallet. So it's really finding a balance between that. Um, yeah, there's no real point in buying a more expensive sunscreen, unless, of course, it means that you can apply more of it and you enjoy applying it more. So it's not just going to sit on the shelf, because if you buy a cheap sunscreen that just sits on the shelf, that's also not good value. Quick questions being supplied to me. What's the difference between a $200 serum and a $40 serum? Mostly the price. <laughs> um, I think everything else about it, it completely depends on exactly what the products are. So um, if it is a $200 serum and is made by a brand that invests in their research and it's really unique, then maybe that's worth it. But if it's just a moisturiser, then probably not. Obvious question especially from someone like me, I guess, who has the time? I mean, you hear about these or see these 20-step skincare routines online demonstrated by celebrities, and you wonder who on earth would actually be able to manage this kind of regimen. Yeah, that's a good question. I personally cannot. Um, so I have a very simple skincare routine. Usually at night I'll put on maybe two, three products um, in the um, in the daytime, I probably also put on one or two skincare products before makeup. Um, but some people do find it really relaxing to kind of just do these skincare steps while they're watching TV. They have all their skincare products in a basket and they just put on masks and stuff as they relax. So it's really preference. It's up to you. It is a little bit risky, though, if you have sensitive skin. The more things you introduce, then the more chances are that something might disagree with your skin. So You know about nails, don't you? Uh do people notice other people's nails? I, I suppose this is silly, but I never do. That's why I'm asking. I guess it really depends. Um, yeah, it does. 
(laughs) (laughs) You probably don't realize either how little people are noticing you or what they're noticing when they do notice. It's one of those things about people. But why, why the interest in nails from you? How much, you know, depth is there in, in the science of nails for you? Nails are really interesting. Um, so one of the cool things about nails, if you talk to a dermatologist, you can tell so much about the health of someone from their nails. So like your nails will give out little secrets about health. Things like if you have um, little spots on them, if you have particular lines, then they can tell you things about your body. Um, if you have diabetes, sometimes you end up with yellow nails. So yeah, it's really interesting. It's also quite fun as well, because like your hair, your nails are dead. So you can do all sorts of cool things with them. Um, so yeah, it's just another extension of your personality. I'm just looking at mine, which I have not done for the longest time, Michelle. And they are purely clear at the moment with none of the white flecks in them. Is that a bad sign? Should I be phoning the doctor? No. That's a good sign. Um, So white flecks on your nails, generally that's a sign of trauma. Um, So if your nail has like white bits in them, it might be because you do your nails a lot. And those white bits are when, say, you're removing nail polish, maybe you pick out your nail polish. Um, That's actually like little flakes of nail cells coming off the surface of the nail. Okay, that's good information. Out of interest, when you field all these questions from people, and I imagine that's all over the world, uh, do you get a greater and greater percentage of men asking you things now? Yeah, I've really noticed that. Um, so when I first started, my audience was entirely female. Um, and I think it's grown to five of it sort of grew. It's grown slowly. Um, it grew from um, five to I think now it's about 10 percent male audience. OK, so men are looking after themselves more. Last question. So you're marooned. Uh, not on a desert island because I know you'd take sunscreen. You're marooned in Lapland over winter and can only take a couple of products. Uh, you mentioned your daily routine. What would the products be, though, that you just absolutely could not do without? Um, I would be using a retinoid. Um, so that's like the vitamin A products. I'd also need a lip balm. <laughs> I have lips that dry out very, very easily. And... Um, I guess not just skin, my hair. Um, so my hair is bleached and dyed purple and needs a lot of upkeep. I would get a really good hair conditioner. Yeah, you'd have to keep the hair purple.